Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champion Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming, presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Uh, every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash CNE Games, or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bukamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times, as well as how gaming affects us. If you're this live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. And our topic today is what your therapist thinks of you. But before we get to that... <laughs> Uh, who are you for the fine folks who may not know? I'm very nice and I don't think terrible things. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Mitra Jordan. I'm a therapist in private practice in Victoria, British Columbia. I work with very many people on all kinds of things and gaming sometimes comes up. If you know, you know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, well, I'm uh, Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. Uh, and I are <laughs> eventually not going to chuckle at that. Um, but the uh, I am a clinical psychologist in Washington State, as well as the clinical director of what was at the time the very first mental health nonprofit to serve the game community, TakeThis.org. And I'm also an expert on the applied use of Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games in clinical and learning settings. And um, I'm, I, I help out in a bunch of other capacities, like uh, I consult frequently on how to ADHD's channel and all sorts. I'm just around. I yeah. do things. I do things and stuff. <laughs> it's on his business card and everything i do this things and stuff that's the best part the stuff yes. is where it really happens it's yeah. called just the, the stuff things. of life for a it's reason the stuff it's the stuff yeah not to be confused with the stuff of life which i believe used to be wheat bread you know starch <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, today we're, we're talking about what your therapist thinks of you, not you directly, but just in general. Wow. Uh, wow. We're doing this to try and destigmatize this and make it less ominous. And there you will go, Trevor. It's a, you put it in the this. title. I didn't make the title. You made the title. Yeah, you added the exclamation point. Uh, that's right. There is a question. I'll right let there. you guys work this out for yourselves. <laughs> so why are we talking about this? Are we Itra, asking you, me? You see more people than I do. I see more people. Um, we're talking about this because it's really relevant to the work that um, that you do in the therapy room. Because so often, in my experience, people will come in and feel quite awkward about the experience, which, you know, I admit it's an awkward experience. You walk into a room, you don't know a person, and you start to tell them very personal things about yourself. Now, of course, this is going to bring up vulnerability, right? Um, ooh, I'm telling you this stuff. How are you responding, right? So it's part of the safety building in the 
in therapy that there's transparency and you have a sense of how the therapist is responding to what you're sharing. This isn't how every therapist works, but it's how I'd say the majority of us work, which is to say we don't do the blank slate thing. What do you think of me? I don't know. What do you think I think of you? <laughs> you know? Like, what is that even? Like, don't do that. Well, like, why are yeah. you asking? Like, you oh, want to know how many? God. Why do you want to know? You know, I that just that that really that doesn't leave a person feeling any safer. And in, in my experience with clients, and so knowing how your therapist is going to respond or is responding is a big piece of feeling safe in therapy. That's why we're talking about it. Have I missed anything? No, I mean, <laughs> sure that's something a, you can add. <laughs> that's a, that's a great, that's a great summation of this. I mean, you talk, you're talking about like this very old school perception of what therapy psychotherapy was um, mm-hmm. way back when, and in some cases still might be for some people, but um, my, my personal experience is that the majority of the folks I work with are really trying to move away from this, you know, therapist mm-hmm. as all the answers, you know, mm-hmm. psychodynamic. Um, we are the expert in the room uh, mm. towards a more phenomenological approach of the client as the expert on themselves. Because I, I, and this is something I say to people all the time, I will never know you the way you know you. I am an expert on psychology. You're an expert on you. And for me to go, that for me to be silent and increase the anxiety in the room oh by not being transparent. I mean, you're already coming here vulnerable and you're trying to trust me. And if if I'm there like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why is it important for you to know what I'm thinking of you? It just sounds so much worse. It's awful. It's awful. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. I, if I'm going into therapy with somebody, I want someone who, and this is just maybe personal, but I want someone who's collaborative. I want someone who's going to work with me, not at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big fear people have. The whole, well, I shouldn't say the whole purpose, but I think a big piece of therapy is the relationship. It's the Mm -hmm. healing aspects of therapy have to Mm -hmm. do with the expertise we can bring, but also the relational building we can do that is reparative. In other words, um, when you bring something to a therapist that you're worried about, when they respond well to that, when they support you, when they show compassion, you can start to do more of that for yourself and with yourself. Because as we know, we can often be really lovely to our friends when they're dealing with something or even to our partners, but we can just be absolutely brutal to ourselves. So part of you that- You know, I confided that to you in private, Mitra. <laughs> I, you're just going to straight up to call me to task publicly <laughs> right now? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm only sharing what I feel myself, Rambo. What do you want me to say? It's going to be your first name rather than Dr. B if we're going down this line. (laughs) She didn't use my middle name. I'm good. (laughs) It's what we all feel. It's anxious making. And and so to be well received is to start to receive ourselves well. There we go. That's a good way. Great way of putting it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, So... One of the things that we wanted to do with this to essentially illustrate this would be for me to essentially ask y'all things that people might think uh, or want to ask in a therapy session, but don't want to because they're like, oh, what do they think of me? (laughs) Um, uh, Real quick, before we do get to that, because we do got a little time, is there any other things that you want to talk about before we get to this or do you just want to fill that in as we go? I think it'll come up. Okay. I just Um, want to be sure. I didn't want to miss any points. 
one one thing I probably actually I, I realize I should add is we are human like anybody else. And of course, we we sometimes have split second judgments about people that we're with. At the same time, I, I can say for myself, and I strongly suspect that Mitra is going to jump in and agree with this, that when I notice myself doing that in a therapy session, I feel deeply ashamed because that's not the purpose of me being there. Mm, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. Um, my, what I'm really worried about more than anything else when I'm sitting in the room with someone is how can I best serve them? Um, and if for a moment I have a thought of I some judgy thought for a split second, I, I feel really ashamed of that because that's, you're coming to me for objectivity and relief and uh, at the same time, you know, we're human and these things happen, but we're also trained to push past that and move past our own biases for the most part. Um, and if our biases are getting in the way, then that's a whole different problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's one thing about the judgy thoughts and I fully agree. Um, they stay with me and they should, because mm-hmm. I need to figure out how not to do that. And so yeah. just like everyone, you know, things will come up and, me catching them and handling them and recognizing that they come from me is a really important piece of this work. Um, But yeah, broader biases, that's why we have supervision. That's why we have colleagues. That's why we have conversations with them about what happens in the therapy room for us. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't affect the client. And if you see someone or if you have a consultation with someone and you realize I am not going to be the best person for this client, then it is your responsibility to refer out at that point. Or if they're outside your scope of practice, but it's really important to to recognize what we're able to do and bring. And if we can't do that, we shouldn't be working with that person. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's get started with, uh, with some of these, uh, chat, you can drop your questions in as always, even if it is a question that you, you're want to contribute to this as a hypothetical, Yeah. Um, what, what, what makes you, what do you want to know that your therapist is thinking? Uh, <laughs> what would you, well, what do you worry that if yeah. you went to a therapist, yeah. your therapist would say that that's, you know, maybe that's stopping you from, from seeking uh, oh, there, therapy or, or help. There's already so, a good one in chat that I Yeah, there is. Mm. That's a good one. Well, oh, well, <clears throat> Mars, Mars will grab that one. Mars is our mod today and, and uh, we'll Game grab Mars. this for us. Uh, I, I want to start with <laughs> with actually one that uh, Jessica from uh, How to ADHD suggested, which is in all caps of, what are you writing down? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so oh. what, what, like, if, if someone were to ask you that, what would you think? Oh, I, this happens um, a lot for me where um, I'm actually writing something and it's taking a minute. And so the client's waiting for a second and I'll say, ah, I just wrote that down. You know, it was, it was, I feel it's that's so significant what you said there. And then we'll get into it um, because I will often, what I will often write down is phrases that seem to me to really resonate with the overall theme that the client's bringing or that really picks up on some facet of the despair or upset or joy that they might be experiencing, because those are the things that are going to, um, I want that exact phrasing in that moment. So sometimes with my notes, I'm writing afterwards, but 
you know, if there's something specific that I feel is really kind of um, getting to a key piece for that client, I will write it down so that I can remember it, think about it, refer to it in session with them and remember that it's remember it, it with their words. Like that's that's a big part of it is like how you share something and express something um, is significant to your work. So, so that's what happens in the notes for me. Um, and I'm very specific or direct with people about the notes are for our work together. They don't go anywhere. They don't get shared. And of course, there's limits to confidentiality. And I'll share when there's a risk of those notes getting shared. The, the, you know that up front in the consent to therapy agreement that you will sign. So, <clears throat> but they will know that there are notes. We can talk about what goes in the notes and we can certainly talk about what you don't want me to put in the notes because the notes are essentially yours. Uh, to add on to that, I, I, I write things down if it sounds like it's an important thing to come back to because my memory is garbage. Um, oh yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like yeah, I generally I, I, write I'm things not therapist, down. But I can genuinely be, believe that that's what I would be doing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So I generally write things down to come back to because my memory is garbage um, as well as if, if it's something that a client says, that's really awesome and insightful and like in their words, and we need to definitely come back to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but also I really, um, I really like using those moments. If somebody's asking me about what I'm writing down to talk about, to use it for transparency and to explain, well, you said something that's really relevant here. And if you want my thoughts, I'm happy to share my thoughts on why I think it's relevant. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love using those as a transparency moment for people just mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I, I don't want there to be a ton of secrets between us um, in terms of like my process, because I work for them. They don't work for me. I work for them. And so um, I, I'm not there to judge them. Frankly, they're there to judge me. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and I'll sometimes write things down if at the beginning of a session, um, I've got some clients who are maybe a bit more goal oriented about what they want to get done that day or what they don't want to forget to talk about, you know, oh, please remind me, wish we need to talk about my dad before today's done or whatever. Um, so I'll note that generally at the, <clears throat> at the beginning of the, of my notes, just so that I can remember, oh, I know that you wanted to spend a little time on this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Also, I also, I sometimes talk when I'm writing. So I'm like, okay. Yep. Wants to be better <laughs> at remembering things. So <laughs> yeah. Write that on my palm. Oh, wait. <laughs> With a Sharpie. You know. <laughs> um, so th this one is, I mean, uh, I know that I have said this, especially in like a first session sort of thing of, I'm pretty sure I have blank. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD or I'm pretty sure I have anxiety. I'm pretty sure I have depression. What, what do you, what, what goes through your head when a client is kind of making that judgment on themselves? Maybe let's find out. Let's, yeah. let's, fig let's figure out what your thought process behind this. Let's see if it fits. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Maybe. And I'd be curious about, I wouldn't say this at the time, I'd wait and see, but I'd be curious about, was that something you've been told? 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that been hurled at you with accusation? Is that something you own and believe for yourself? Is that something you've explored and come to? Is that something you've been diagnosed with? Um, <clears throat> and what does diagnosis mean to you, mm-hmm. right? And for you, because there's different reasons for diagnosis and different outcomes. So, yeah. Okay. That, well, I mean, personally, that is good to know because I like I went in and said that I'm pretty sure I have anxiety, and um, uh, the thing that I worried went through that therapist said I was like, oh, not another MD, MD jackass, Jake. <laughs> well, okay. I will be. I will. I will say that's sometimes a that's sometimes a worry that I have. Mm. Uh, that is sometimes a thought, but not. Not another web D ja- web MD jackass kind of thought. It's a ghastly it's, thing to say. It's no, no, that not in a judgy kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in a but when I have a thought like that, it's more worried for the other person because there is a lot of bad information on that the internet. Fair. And I've seen some even on on WebMD, I've seen some terrible information about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and my worry is more instead of oh god, jackass, it's mm-hmm. more like oh god, what have they been told? Yeah. That's fair. Oh God, yeah. what am I going to have to untangle for for this poor person? Yeah, that's and 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 I I know because you know the mindset that I usually have on things like I wouldn't have thought of it that way. Um, it would have been like the, the judgy way of doing it. So I, I I I I like knowing that it that there is concern there, but concern in a helping way. I think that's really absolutely good. Yeah. absolutely. I I don't have a, a judgment about what. A clients come in with more that um, I want to know what it means to the client, where that idea comes from. Um, has it been in some ways a liberating idea for them? Mm-hmm. You know, I know that for many people, me included, an ADHD diagnosis can be very liberating in the sense that, oh, I know what's going on now and it's not my fault. You know, it's how I am and how do I work with this to make things go better. But yeah, I think that there is a lot of misinformation out there and I'd want to explore for that person if this is a fit if this is feeling good if this is a worry where is it coming from for mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. And, and also just there's there's I, I I think there's also something to be said about somebody's uh, initiative the fact that they're taking they're take yeah the information they might be getting they might get is bad in a mm-hmm. lot of cases. Mm-hmm. However, there's also something praiseworthy about that because there's a person who's doing diligence on trying to figure things out for themselves, how to, how to get past some of the challenges they have. And so, no, the thought is not, oh God, jackass, you looked at it on WebMD. The thought is, okay, great enthusiasm. Let's see what we have to untangle here. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next one is, is kind of a, a, a two-parter. Um, so the first one is just going to be, uh, the, the quote of somebody saying, oh, sorry, I'm talking too much. Mm. <clears throat> People often worry about talking too much, but therapy has been called the talking cure for a reason, <laughs> you know? So I think that, um, I think when they're worried about talking too much, what they're actually worried about is how much they're rambling or how tangential the conversation is. But you know what? There's a lot of right brain processing that goes on in therapy. And by that, I mean, it's a creative process of exploring our own experience. And because of that, by its nature, it's going to be tangential. 
And in those tangents are some of the important pieces that we need to touch on and find those connections. There's often a reason people are bringing things up that seem unconnected. I believe they're probably connected in some important way, or they all need to be spoken in some way. One is leading to another. Um, and with that as well, if you feel like there's a lot of talking, it might be some stuff that you just really haven't gotten to say. And isn't it so great that you're having an opportunity to share it now? I, I never feel like people are talking too much. At times I might want to slow it down so that I am able to kind mm -hmm. of keep track and be with them in the experience. And at times I might have some questions, but the session is theirs. And if part of it is to just kind of air it out and share it, that's important. Ooh, I, I put actually, that on a t-shirt, air it and share it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually do want to add on the second point there. I, I, I know mm. Dr. B haven't gotten to go yet, but uh, to, to go off the point that Mitra is making there, what about if like, you know, I, I know for a fact that when I was in therapy, I went on several tears of a tangent and um, what is there ever a point that you're going to be like, let's get back on track or is it just let them talk through it? Um, well, I mean, it's a little bit of both because one, it's their time. Yeah. How often in life do you just get an hour where somebody or, you know, or whatever the therapeutic hour, 51 minutes, 53 minutes, depending on, you know, plus note chart note time. Um, how often do you get that just to have somebody's attention fully focused on you? Mm. And so sometimes like, like Mitra said, it's just an air it and share it kind of thing at other times. If I know that we're getting into some stuff that is going in a different direction than a client says, hey, I'd like to work on this for a moment, I might, I might interject, hey, can I, can I pause for a sec? Um, okay, so I noticed you're talking about this subject matter, and cool, we can talk about that. But I also noticed that you said you wanted to talk about this subject matter, and I'm happy to do either one. I just want to know the plan. That's right. fair. Because I might draw their attention to how much time we have and how if they've shared there's something they really wanted to get to, I, mm -hmm. I want them to have the time to get to that. There is another instance in which I will slow people down, and that's when we're processing trauma. Mm. There oh God, is a yeah. tendency oh, yeah. in trauma mm -hmm, processing mm -hmm. to go a mile a minute yep. because it's such an uncomfortable fix it, space. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Yeah, but you're not, you're just repeating as opposed to processing. So we're going to slow it down because that's actually part of feeling a sense of control and safety in sharing that those very difficult mm -hmm. and painful experiences. So that's going to be an instance where we're going to slow it right down. And I, and I've certainly done that and talked about it when mm -hmm. I've done so. Um, cause a lot of the folks I've worked with, I've worked, um, the, the folks I've done trauma work tend with tend to be military types and military types. My experience has been love solutions and they, 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 they hate the ones I've worked with have hated lingering on things and processing things. And one of the realities is that when dealing with trauma, being too solution oriented can be a type of avoidance. And then we Absolutely. talk about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Um, let's see. Um, what was the next one I was going to do? Oh, I, this is this is on the topic of the the 
person talking and whatnot. Um, and I know that I've done this too, and it's so it's such a weird thought to have in therapy. But uh, I, I I'm always talking about myself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's that? what we want. <laughs> well, yeah. Can I can I jump in on that for a sec? Because there's there's something that we we let's let's bring this to the forefront of things. Therapeutic relationships are real. Okay. Yeah, they're biz- they're a business relationship, they're a health-oriented relationship, they're still real. And at the same time, they're not a two-sided reciprocal relationship like you'd be used to when it comes to um, social interactions where one person discloses something, then another person discloses something of equal vulnerability. And that's kind of how you gauge where friend, the depth of friendships is mutual self-disclosures. Therape- therapeutic relationships are kind of one and a half sided um, where they are there to work for you. And there is a real, real vulnerability. And that is nerve wracking because that is a different kind of relationship than so many of us experience. And I've been, I, I, you know, I've done therapy for years. I, it is kind of uncomfortable in, in that it feels lopsided when we're not used to lopsided stuff. That's also by design. It's supposed to be lopsided. I'm paying for them to focus on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an opportunity as you said a little bit ago, Dr. B, where people can get that time, where people get the time and attention and support that they need. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of it. But when you say one and a half, yes, I see what you mean, because we we sometimes will self-disclose, we'll sure. share a little bit about our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's often, you know, certainly when I was seeing people in person, this was actually a big piece of it, the first two or three minutes of chitty chat while people settle in. Mm-hmm. And that's part of just being connected and human together. So I so yeah. I understand where it's coming from when people say that. And you know, it speaks to them being caring and responsive human beings in their other interactions. But it's my job to also remind them of what the space is about for them. So, so. yeah, the TLDR is if someone's like, I'm talking too much about myself, my my initial thought is, yeah, this is the place for it. Yeah, it's That's true. If, if there was ever a place for it, it's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not paying me to talk about me. Um. Still on the subject of talking, um, someone says, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. 100%. I've worked with people where there are pieces we don't get to. We know that they're there and they're just, you know, maybe it's just not as relevant and their life is stable now by the end of the work. Um, Or maybe they're just not ready to open that door. You know, your healing process is yours Mm -hmm. and you'll know when it's time. Yep. Or if it ever is time, that's fine. And yeah, um, if someone says, I'm not ready to talk about that yet, again, gut reaction is okay. You're not mm-hmm. ready yet. That's fine. And that if it's not clear yet, a lot of our initial reactions to things have to do with how we can best serve you. And there's a lot of anxiety for a lot of ther- therapists and psychologists and even psychi- and psychiatrists for how we can best serve you. Yeah. Um, and very, very frequently, if you haven't noticed yet, our initial thoughts, you might be thinking we're thinking you're weird. Where in fact, we're thinking about, oh God, don't mess this up. 
serve them the best. We're not, we are thinking about you, but we're also thinking about how we can best serve you. We're not Mm -hmm. generally thinking, oh God, this person's weird. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when you're in a healing profession, you're thinking about that Hippocratic oath really of first do no harm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, how do I make sure that whatever I'm doing here isn't going to be harmful for the client in some way? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'll just straight up. That's generally what I'm thinking of. Oh God, how can I best serve this person? Mm -hmm. Don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Yeah. I I know the reason that like I I put that one down is that like, I think, the possible thought process of the person saying it might be is like, oh, am I, am I pushing against this now? Am I, am I, am I supposed to open up about all of this stuff? So it's good to, I, I, uh, for me at least, it's good to hear that it's like, no, that is something you can say. That is something that is healthy to say in this sort of environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I do see clients judging themselves a lot for not pushing past stuff, really getting into it. And, you know, everything has its its time. And it's partly about trusting the therapist. And it's also partly about trusting yourself. And usually you'll have a week, maybe more between sessions. And it's also partly about what are you, what are you able to cope with Mm -hmm. during that between session time? Like the last thing I want to do with the client is open a door that we don't get to properly close before the end of a session. Right. And then I'm leaving them, you know, in this state where they're going home, maybe feeling extra fragile, you know, um, and and they're not in a place then to do what they need to do for their lives. And that's that's the harm. That's one of the kinds of harm that can be done. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I made uh, that face because I just had some realizations about past events. <laughs> okay, and this is <laughs> good night, everybody. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> no, the it's. One of the things that certain therapeutic modalities talk about is essentially not arguing with people, because if you take a client centered approach and if they're, if they're not ready to one of the, honestly, and just personal philosophy on this, one of the best things you can do in so many cases as a therapist is to show them it's safe enough to disclose. It's also safe enough to not disclose. You're basically creating this container um, that that's, that's, you're creating this container where they have the freedom and the empowerment to do what they need to do to feel safe. Um, now again, sometimes with trauma stuff, if they're, you know, crashing into that container, like a wrecking ball, sometimes we're like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can't unpack everything yet. We, we can't unpack everything yet. But, um, if, you know, if people are hesitant to disclose, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, there's, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and there's because there's usually a good reason why. Yeah, they they may not know that reason for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just a feeling. But part of therapy is helping you get into better contact with your own intuitive experiences, your own felt truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think uh, I think that's the weird thing is like knowing that it's okay to not be ready. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, you, the enterprise does not run at warp nine all the time. <laughs> what about plaid? Anywho, let's go ahead and take a quick break for our disclaimer to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer. And then we'll be back to talk about a few more hypotheticals. Don't forget, you can put your questions in chat and Mars will grab them for later. And so now the disclaimer. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. 
It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Okay, so, uh, let's see. Let, let, let's grab another one from the, the list of options I have here. Um, I feel like th this is a, a... There's a couple of these that I feel is a good area of conversation for a bit. Um, let's start off with a uh, tough one. Why haven't I changed yet? Ah, uh, wow. <laughs> uh, let's why say, haven't you changed why? yet? <laughs> Indeed. Is not what most therapists think. <laughs> nope. 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 It's going to take a while. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's what a fair number of clients think, but it's definitely not what your therapist is thinking. Um, your therapist is usually going to bring um, their thoughts to what will help with change. Um, sometimes they'll actually try to slow you down. You know, if you've if you've tried to change everything, and and we certainly have all been there, where it's like I'll change how I eat, I will exercise, and I'm going to stay on top of all my chores. You know, do it all, and then you know that may last three days, and then you're like, oh, I'm tired of holding up the planet here. You know, it's just too much. So so you know you're therapist is probably going to support small sustainable changes that you can incorporate into your life and that are also incorporated into who you are as a person. Um, and so it's clients who worry more about change and therapists who are working to help you um, notice the changes you are making. I've said so many times to people like, okay, and think about if you had had this conversation with your whoever, parent, sibling, spouse, um, two months ago, how do you think it would have felt then? You know, and they're usually like, yeah, I think I would have had a really tough time confronting whatever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and these are the kinds of changes we see in, in people quite often. And so we're not thinking that they're not changing. My gut reaction when I get that question is why I haven't changed that. My, my gut reaction is generally you actually have. Yeah. Um, but I can't argue with you about this because that's self-defeating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because uh, very frequently, uh, you know, my, my experience with clients is they've got this like one ideal and this one very uh, concrete idea of change. And it's more of a destination than a process. And so, um, also they, they I, I've said this on the show many times before people say, I want to be able to play in it. I want to play an instrument, but nobody says I want to practice an instrument. And, the truth. <laughs> and Looks when people keyboard, why haven't I changed yet? Why haven't I arrived at my destination? Mm -hmm. And so generally my thought process is I'm, I'm going through all the ways that a client actually has made incremental changes and actually has made a difference in their life. And I will vary it after I think you actually have, how can I gently bring that up in a yeah. way that doesn't sound confrontational in a way that isn't argumentative, 
how can I bring this up gently? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my gut reaction. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, most people are changing more than they realize. It's just more of a process instead of a destination. Very and, much so. It's like, um, well, when you're practicing an instrument, you're, you're playing with an instrument. You, you might not be playing a song the way you want to, but you've picked up the instrument. You're practicing on it. You're doing your best to um, do things that are within your capacity on the instrument so that you don't try, I don't know, if you're playing the piano so that you don't try some complicated uh, jazz piece or Beethoven's fifth or whatever, you know, you're mm-hmm. yeah, because that's demoralizing, yeah. right? And this is part of the challenge with change. It's like be- incremental and small is manageable. Massively changing everything is demoralizing because it's just too big of a challenge mm-hmm. in one go, right? And so I think this is the part of the problem with change is we don't tend to notice that journey type of changing. We we really do focus yeah. on those milestones instead. And that's much more, much more difficult. So, you know, there, there's a metaphor I, I like to use with people in that it's that, um, you know, that experience where you go to like see a friend's kid or a niece or a nephew or nibbling and you haven't seen them in a year and you see a big difference. You, mm-hmm. Oh my God, how much you've grown. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as when it, when it comes to ourselves, we don't notice the millimeter by millimeter changes. Whereas we can see a snapshot in yeah. others. It's really, it's a lot harder to notice incremental changes. And so that's, that's why very, and therapists and psychologists, psychiatrists are, theoretically supposed to be trained to help people recognize that stuff and recognize it for them. And so we see this stuff, even if clients don't. And that's why my gut reaction, when people say, why haven't I changed? And why haven't I changed? I'm usually going, you have, I see it. I know you don't see it yet. Yeah. For whatever reason, maybe we should actually talk about that. What (laughs) Mm -hmm. the hesitation to seeing the, um, yeah. And another piece to this is that just so you know, your family and your spouse probably won't notice change as quickly Mm. as friends, therapists, and other further outside Mm. of that that ring. Uh, If it's a bullseye, you know, you're in the center. The Uh further out you go, the more likely people are to actually notice the change. And this is because your family and spouse live with you every day. So just as the parent of that nibbling isn't necessarily going to notice how tall their kid is getting, right? Because it's incremental. Mm -hmm. They notice it when it's like, oh God, we need to get you new pants. You know, (laughs) you're waiting for the flood here with how short they've gotten. Imagine saying that in therapy. My God, we need to get you new pants. <laughs> <laughs> <Just happened. laughs> yeah. Oh, so, boy. so yeah, you know, people who are in an, an ongoing dynamic with you, particularly if it's not an easy one, um, you know, spouses, for example, will probably be drawing on memory and long history with you in terms of how they're seeing you. So when you say, well, I've changed, I don't do this thing anymore. And you're like, for the last two months, it's been so much better. Haven't you noticed? And they're like, (laughs) maybe, I guess you didn't get into as big of an argument with me a week ago than you would have, or you didn't sulk as much when you, (laughs) like it's usually these things, but they're very minor. For an hour instead of a day. And it's a big deal. And your therapist will say, this is great. And your spouse will say, 
So just be prepared for that. <laughs> right. But it's not fixed yet. Well, that that's an all or nothing thing. <laughs> right. and that's a different conversation. But yeah, it's um, but yeah, that's why usually my my thought for those is y- you have. Mm-hmm. The, this one is is it's a similar question to that uh, or it's not it's, it's more of a statement. I know personally that like I was feeling this and I was afraid to say it because it felt like I was being almost adversarial to the therapist. Like I, I was doubting them and it's I don't know if therapy is working for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's an important question to bring up. It's a hard question to bring up. And when it's brought up, my first thought is, oh, crap. What did I mess up? What do I need to change? Oh, God, did I not serve this person as well as I hoped? But it's an important question to bring up. And I think that we have to, I I mean, I'm immediately curious, actually, with that question. Um, I'm not saying I don't worry about whether I'm working for you as a therapist effectively enough, right? Because, of course. But what is happening that's making change or therapy not work so well? Because for some people, therapy is actually crisis management in the Mm -hmm. sense that they've got an ongoing really tough situation. And if they're expecting, therapy is going to help them not go backwards. It's going to help them find resources within themselves and perhaps in the community to help them. But you're not necessarily going to get as much forward momentum at those times. So if if you're expecting that from therapy, probably isn't going to happen um, because you're still dealing with stuff in the moment that's that's really kind of hindering that growth maybe, or that's an ongoing challenge. And I've worked with people who've got parents who are dying or children who are sick or some really tough stuff going on or an ongoing awful divorce process that where the other party isn't letting up. You know, in those moments, we're helping them move through every day. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, we all want change and we all want things to be better and we want relief from that suffering we're feeling. So that may be a piece of it. And it's fair to say, I might not be the therapist for you. And it may be really important to explore this and look at what referral would look like. Yeah, there's something I mean, there's something called stimulus value that we talk about in a therapeutic setting. Um, And there's different stimulus value that every single mental health professional brings. And it's not a whole lot they can, there are certain things about it that there's not a whole lot they can change. Like um, I'll, I'll give an example of something that has happened to me on more than one occasion. Um, Apparently, despite, uh, apparently because of the internet, people think I'm short. And uh, I am in fact only short for my family where my grandmother was six feet tall. Um, so six foot, nearly six foot three is short for my family. Um, and that, why am I bringing that up? Well, because I can't make myself smaller. I am a large, deep voiced male. And for a lot of people, that combination of things brings up uncomfortable feelings. It's fair. And that, if that's what's going on in therapy, I'm not going to take it personally. I've heard it before. And that's an important thing to bear in mind that if my stimulus value, let's say you've had some real bad experiences with large, deep voiced males. If that is interfering and that's nothing I can control, 
If that's what's interfering with therapy, I want to talk about that so we can make sure to get you the help you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be going through my brain. No, like, who do I know in the area who's going to fit what you need to get you the kind of care you're looking for? hundred percent. And we all have a, a, a wheelhouse or an area where we're more skilled than yeah. others. Um, and, the, you know, I, I work a little bit with eating disorders if they're tangential, but there's a couple of people who really specialize it where I, in it where I live. And I'm going to direct people towards those right. those areas. Right. Um, so. So, yeah, we all have skills that we can bring and some are much stronger and so I want people to get what they need. And sometimes therapy is not working because of something we're not attending to. I want to know what that is and how mm-hmm. to better support you. And it might be about that. And that can usually bring way more life into the room, right? If it's feeling a little stale for some reason. Yeah. And, and, and I want all clients to have the courage to ask that question or to, to share, I feel like therapy is not working. Okay. Or we've hit a plateau Great. or we've stagnated, it's, we've stalled, yeah. whatever. And it is hard to bring up by the way. I, I, but I, most therapists I know, and I think Mitra's echoing this, we're kind of glad when people do. Well, absolutely. That, that actually, I kind of want to segue into the uh, viewer question part of it, which actually fits in perfectly with this. So the first one was from uh, Delany underscore eight. I think that's what I was at. Sorry if it's not. Um, I always wonder, have I been in therapy too long or uh, longer than normal? And it also comes to the classic question huh. of, am I getting better? Mm. <laughs> Gut reaction. What's normal? <laughs> first thing I think of. What's and normal? Also, yeah. And, and what's long? Mm-hmm. Because right. you're bringing you and your particular circumstances and experiences and maybe trauma and maybe ongoing challenges in who knows, divorce and separation or something. You may be bringing really complex sets of experiences that take a while to unpack. Um, I have people who come to therapy for a while, quite intensively say, and then I won't see them for some months maybe even a year, and then they'll come back. Now, is that a continuation? In some ways it might be, right? Because they might not be seeing me all the time, but they might be uh, keeping me in mind or knowing I'm there, whatever it is. We haven't terminated, in other words. They can come back and they, even if we terminate, they can come back. But so you can be in therapy for a while over, you know, a few different life stages and over multiple different experiences and and Mm -hmm. needs, right? Issues. And usually in those moments, I, 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 I take the opportunity to, um, cause when most, when I think of the term normal, I think of a statistical, it's statistical. It's what two out of three people would do in a given situation, but where a lot of people run into problems and I, I is when we attach value to it, good mm-hmm. or bad, because there's a lot of abnormal, statistically abnormal experiences that are really wonderful. There's a lot of statistically abnormal experiences that are not wonderful. There's a lot of normal experiences that suck. Yes. And it's, and so I take the opportunity generally to talk about, I replace the words typical Mm -hmm. and unexpected. And it tends to change, it tends to change the tone of the conversation am I doing more therapy than I initially expected? Well, maybe. And there might be some real good reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I tend to, I have, I have a bit of a soapbox about how the term normal is weaponized and the term abnormal is not celebrated enough. 
Yeah, Abby absolutely. Normal. Uh, <laughs> Abby someone. <laughs> Abby normal. Um, I feel like these two are related, so I'm, I'm going to do them at the same time. This is from uh, Rock Punch Beef and Riley Rambler. And um, putting them together because I, I know that I had both of these thoughts during it. Uh, one of them uh, was, am I being a bad client by being funny? Um, and kind of looped into that, I'm always, uh, Riley Rambler says, I'm always worrying that I'm frustrating or annoying in the way that I speak. Because I, I like, I do the thing where it's like, I do it on the show. This isn't just for the show. I insert jokes everywhere. That's just how I am. And so, like, I do have the worry that, like, the funny is annoying sort of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mitra, you want to kick this one off? Sure. Um, so I have, I've had many clients who are very funny, very witty, very entertaining, amazing people. Um, and I enjoy their humor very much. And I also know that the humor can be something that they're using to deflect from maybe their worries or their fears or their vulnerability. Um, or it's a, maybe a way of saying, yeah, we're not going there. Right. Um, so whatever that's about, I do want to name it with them. Like what's happening for you or that was really funny. And however, was there something underneath that for you? Either way, we get into it. We get into what's behind the funny for them. Um, and let's see, the other one was, um, am I annoying or irritating? Um, so a lot of what happens in therapy is uh, getting to check out how other people respond to you, right? Because sometimes we say a thing and somebody makes a face and we're like, oh God, you know, what did I do? But we're too scared to ask, right? Or we have people respond to us in a way we don't quite understand um, what they're, what's happening there with them. And it's, and it's pretty scary to ask, particularly if you don't know people well. And when you're in the therapy room is the perfect place to get to explore that. Mm -hmm. So I love it when people say, you know, this is, am I irritating? Is the way I speak irritating? Or am I, you know, because it's an opportunity to figure out where you got that idea, you know, and, um, and we can unpack some of that for you. Um, I, I tend to look. So if, if those of you who have watched the show long enough or listened to it on the podcast have probably heard me say this, you know, no one behavior is ever one thing. Mm -hmm. And humor is a wonderful strength, but so often our strengths and our weaknesses are the same thing in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like the ability to lighten a mood using humor is just so wonderful. And honestly, as a therapist, if somebody's coming, it, it can get so, so difficult to focus on different people an hour at a time for six hours at a stretch. And I'm going to be real honest, the, the people who can make me laugh. God, I appreciate them. God, I appreciate them because there's a novelty to that and I can engage. And at the same time, sometimes it can be deflecting. Mm -hmm. Like Mitra said, sometimes that strength can also become a way of avoiding. Yeah. And that's my thought. That's generally my, my thought in those moments is, okay, lightening the mood because why not? Or lightening the mood because, oh God. And I don't think I've ever actually found any of my clients truly annoying as I think about it. I, I don't, there, there's certainly been challenges that I have been frustrated trying to help them solve. 
And there have certainly been one, there have certainly been areas of tremendous distress that I I've also been feeling distress at trying to, you know, wanting to help them. But I don't think I've ever actually found a client annoying. That's um, no, <laughs> you didn't make me re- uh, remember something through there when you're talking about the, the humor as a strength and also like, you know, deflection thing. Memory he from says from I, personal experience. Yeah, I, well, I remember in uh, I remember in Cub Scouts being at a camp one time, and we're talking about superheroes, and the camp counselor goes, "Who's your favorite superhero and why?" I went, "Spider Man," because he makes jokes when he's uncomfortable and scared, just like I do. And he goes, "I was not expecting that answer from a child." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, okay, so th- this uh, this last one I had. Oh no, I unhighlighted. How dare? I? Okay, I got it. Uh, this is the last question uh, because we are running uh, low on time here. Oh. Um, I, so this one is from. Uh, I figured out how to. I f- thought I figured out how to pronounce the name when I That's read it in my head, and now name. I can't do it now. Uh, but you'll know who you are. Uh, question: When presented with a client or patient that you believe does not need treatment, how do you broach that conversation? How often does this actually occur? And the reason I wanted to bring this up, because this is a fear that I had going into therapy of just like, am I just making this all up in my head? Do I not actually need therapy? Is this person <laughs> going to tell me if I don't need therapy? <laughs> it it will become evident very quickly if you don't need therapy. Mm. Um, you know, I've had I've had sessions with people where it's just one or two sessions. They wanted or needed to explore something that was worrying them or bothering them, or they had a thought around what was going on and exploring it laid it to rest or made it, oh, no, I guess I am normal, <laughs> you know, whatever that means, right? Or I guess I do have more, you know, coping tools or, yeah, I can see that I'm fine now or whatever. But um, I think if you're wanting, if there's something that's back there and you're noticing it and you want to kind of take care of it, it never hurts to check it out, right? It, it becomes clear pretty quickly. And no, I, I'm not about to encourage you to come to therapy if you're, if you're not um, in need of therapy at that point in your life. I think it's, it's great. I'm not here to just keep people coming to see me, you know? Mm-hmm. So. And um, yeah, there's, there is, there's also the question of um, why are why are you here in the first place? And I, I don't mean that to sound so ominous. Are you there because you have a problem? That, are you having a problem that you want to work out, or because historically Western Western psychology and psychiatry have focused on deficits? It's only been in the last forty years that we've started to contemplate what do we do when people are at baseline to help them get them past it, and that's the realm of positive psychology and so forth. And I don't mean like you know toxic positivity. It means like how do we help people excel, not just get back to baseline, but how will we help them excel? The problem is, and mental lamia brings this up really importantly, is we have a systemic issue in the United States, especially where if someone doesn't have a diagnosis, their insurance often doesn't cover it. Mm. And so that is, I bring this up because that's a frustration that I experience on the other end of things of, um, and we have, and we have to have a, a discussion, um, about that, that what are the limits of that, what the therapist or their insurance allows and so forth. Um, thankfully I don't take insurance. So I have a little bit more freedom, but there's the other side of that, that the only people who I can see are the people who can afford to see me. And that's, that is a whole conversation unto itself. But, Mm. um, I, 
I just try and be honest with people about where they're where they're at in terms of things. And because I, it doesn't benefit me to lie to them. Transparency benefits them mm-hmm. and me. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be the, the expert in the room just for the sake of my own ego. Mm. And I will say, you know, therapy isn't just for when you're in crisis, right? In mm-hmm. fact, as we said, being in crisis kind of is like in therapy, it's kind of like treading water, but, you're also getting better coping strategies. You're coming up with things that maybe allow you to um, escape that crisis situation sooner, one hopes, or, you know, place it where it belongs as part of your life and not something that's overtaking it. Mm-hmm. But when you're, when things are actually quite stable in your life is a great time to work on things mm-hmm. because you're well-resourced. And so maybe that niggling thing or that part of your history or that whatever it is that's coming up that you feel like you could look at, that's great. Um, I want to add another piece that comes up for people is the, is the sort of uh, privilege related stuff, which is like, my problems aren't anywhere near as, as bad as other people's, Ooh, Yeah, you know, and, and feeling bad for taking up space and therapy because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that that happens. And I'm like, well, you're you clearly there's something important here for you. And and it's wonderful that you're in a position to do that work. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Doing that work makes the rest of your life better, mm-hmm. you know, and, and feeling better about yourself means you have a little more space to help others feel better. So, you know, in that way, there's a wonderful ripple effect. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, we do got to get out of here, and I mean very quickly. Uh, so, <laughs> um, uh, you can uh, follow both Mitra and Doctor B at their socials below uh, their names. Uh, I am Trevor Vettis. Uh, you can also follow me at my socials below my name. Thank you, uh, Mars, for moderating the chat and doing a fantastic job. And sorry to everyone whose question we didn't get to. We are holding on to them, and we'll be doing a past questions episode at the end of the season, like we did last season. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. And so, until next week. Take care of yourself. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.